Welcome to Global Bridges. We are hosting Global Bridges at the University of St. Thomas at the heart of the city in Houston, Texas. I am Beverly Barrett, faculty with the UST Cameron School of Business, and I'm happy to welcome our guest, Lorena Macias Navarro, joining us from Mexico for the episode, Mexico, the Food System and Public Health Nutrition and Pandemic and Beyond. Welcome, Lorena. Hello, welcome, thank you. Hello, we're looking forward to the conversation today. As the world is recovering from the global pandemic, we have launched the series Global Bridges, Changing Flows in People and Trade for this season two during the fall 2021. This program enables us by listening to our guests to travel abroad from home to learn about recovery in their countries. The pandemic has diverted material flows in trade, flows in agriculture as we'll learn today, as well as flows of people and travel and work, which we explore in this podcast. Thank you for letting us travel with you to your country, Mexico, via podcast. Earlier this spring, we had an interview in February with Augustine Berrios Gomez from Mexico City, and that focused on economic development and global health. We're very much looking forward to getting to know more about Mexico, our neighbor to the South here from the US, as we explore more deeply the links and food system, public health, why it matters for all of us, not only in our own countries, but as a region, North America and in the world. We're sharing perspectives on life and economic development across the world as we recover from this pandemic, building global bridges, and we'll be talking about public health, the economy, work, education, travel, and society. Going forward, we'll understand life and business across industries as we build global bridges to the future. So about our guest today, Lorena Macias Navarro. She's a senior advisor on matters of food system, global health, and sustainability. She's a co-founder of Mexico's action tank, Mexico Actua. You can find it online at mexicoactua.org, I believe, and dedicated to finding innovative solutions to address pressing issues on the nexus among water, energy, and food security. Recently, prior to incorporating Mexico Actua, Lorena was appointed by the former Mexican president, Enrique Peña Nieto, as executive secretary of the Science Advisory Council of the Presidency of Mexico. Further, Lorena is trained as a food engineer, studied at the Universidad Iberoamericana in Mexico City. She has a master's in food policy from Tufts University in Boston, focusing on applied nutrition. Later, she was a visiting scholar at the University of Arizona the World Health Organization, and the School of Public Health at Harvard University in Boston. We're very much looking forward to learning about um, the passions that Lorena has and the vision and the abilities to reimagine a more resilient, sustainable health focused on a food system that meets population and planetary needs. So let's jump right in. So welcome again. Um, Tell us a bit about how things are this this fall 2021 and what we need to know about the food system or particularly from the perspective of Mexico. Well, first of all, thank you Beverly for the invitation. It is my pleasure to be with you and the Global Bridges community. Hello to all and, and thanks for listening. Um, if I may, I would like to offer some context regarding the global food production value chain and what is needed to prevent uh, and respond to a future pandemic. So talking about uh, the pandemic, it, ha it has been made evident that our food system's hyperconnectivity is beneficial, 
for a trade and economic perspective, of course, but our dependency on global food security uh, commodities is becoming increasingly fragile, especially when mobility is challenged, when food stable prices increase and become scarce. Here, I would like to mention uh, a report from the FAO, the UN's uh, food and agricultural organization that tell us that uh, our food production system is currently broken. We cannot continue producing food the way we do. And the way that they um, encourage us to think about the food system is in four avenues. Make it more um, inclusive, efficient, resilient, and sustainable. Okay, great. Now, talking about the perspective of public health nutrition and animal production, we must start thinking of preventing the next zoonotic disease turning into pandemic and to be better prepared when this risk materializes. In this podcast, I hope you can help us break down those four avenues. Will you repeat them again for us? Of course. Uh, So these four avenues, they call it the four betters. The first one is better production. And that talks about resource management. Mm -hmm. Then um, the other avenue is better nutrition, how -hmm. to have access to healthy and sustainable food. Mm -hmm. The other one, the third one is better environment. How can we be more sustainable when we're talking about food production, talking about resources, water, Mm -hmm. land. And at the end of the day, the fourth avenue is a better life. At the end of the day, the goal is to be healthy and have a, a better life. Right. And so the FAO, Food and Agricultural Organization, the UN agency in Rome, Italy, has um, come up and researched these four areas. Thank you for highlighting them for us. Production, nutrition, environment, and better life in the end. And you were giving us an example about um, a recent health concern. Please continue with that. Yes. And, and just to, to go back to the report on the FAO, uh, yeah. what this report uh, brings to mind and to the attention of us is that everything is interconnected. The economic, social, and environmental dimensions of the food system are connected and we have to think as a system um, as a whole. Now, going back to the uh, public health part, um, as I was mentioning uh, previously, mm-hmm. um, the COVID-19 virus is a zoonotic disease. And what that means is that mm-hmm. These types of diseases are caused by germs like viruses, bacteria, parasites, and fungi that are spread between animals and people. So according to the World Bank, to prevent the next pandemic or to better respond, we have to invest on cross-sectoral coordinated investments in human environment and animal health. And talking about these three topics at the same time is called the One Health Approach. Okay. As we know, we cannot have a healthy planet without healthy animals or healthy people. So, so we have to think, think about it as a system. And the three elements are people, planet, and animals? Exactly. And it's called One Health Approach. One Health Approach. Thanks so much for highlighting that for us. Where can we learn more about that? At the World Bank. It's called uh, One Health Approach. Also, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention has its own area of study. Um, especially particularly now with the, the COVID-19 virus, the One Health approach has become more, um, has, has gained more attention from researchers. Okay, excellent. Thank you for highlighting that. We want to look at that there. Yes. So thanks so much for this context for discussing um, the food system and perspectives on global health going forward. We hope in the next minutes you will give us perspective on changes in local, regional, and global food supply chain and its impact on public health over the recent years. Where should we get started? 
Well, I would like to focus on the bilateral relation between the U.S. and Mexico, talking about uh, agricultural trade. So as you know, the U.S. is Mexico's largest agricultural trading partner, buying 82% of Mexican exports and supplying roughly 70% of the country's imports in this category. So according to the U.S. last year in 2020, Mexico accounted for 12% of U.S. agricultural exports, exports and 22% of U.S. agricultural imports. Our uh, agricultural trade is, is uh, largely complementary, meaning um, that the U.S. tends to export different commodities to Mexico than Mexico exports to the U.S. The, as you might know, the commodities that we tend to export uh, from Mexico to the U.S. tend to be fruits, vegetables, and beer. And the commodities that the U.S. exports to Mexico are mostly grains, oil, oil seeds, and meats. Um, what I would like to point our attention now is that it has been interesting that during the, these difficult times during the pandemic, the global food production trade has been operated uninterrupted. There, of course, have been food shortages on certain commodities, increased prices on fuels, limitations on transportation and mobility, but overall, food production and trade continue to operate. For now, there are no concerns on food shortages. Right. Thank you for that. There was a time when there was less demand in early 2020, those spring years, right? When um, that was perhaps more, you know, fuel-based products and manufacturing products during the, during the first shutdowns. But as we know that food is essential for human life, um, it is interesting the consistency that has stayed in the demand. And we can imagine that perhaps it will just continue to increase as population increases. Um, thank you for focusing on the U.S.-Mexico relationship, and we know that's highly integrated with our trade arrangement, and we know that some of the standards and values in North America are, say, distinct from the standards um, in Europe, and um, we can also then think about, you know, the developing world, too, what it will take to bring more um, abundance to the developing world. But what challenges do we have in this bilateral relationship? Um, what have we learned about this that we might apply to thinking more globally about food insecurity and meeting the challenges? Yes, so um, as we were just talking, uh, the food operation system was not interrupted. However, mm -hmm. um, there was increase in food prices. And what happened is that uh, globally, there is a rise of inequality within countries and there are increasingly a more number of people that are becoming food insecure. So the problem is not global, but actually when we talk about country level, that's when we start to see uh, food insecurity and nutrition uh, problems. Okay. That has to do with higher uh, retail prices within countries combined with reduced incomes, families are, are losing their jobs. And this means that more and more households are having to cut down on the quantity and quality of their food consumption that has a direct impact on, on their health. Mm -hmm. um, as as uh, an example, in Mexico, we're experiencing high food price inflation at the retail level, mm -hmm. uh, reflecting lingering supply disruptions uh, due to COVID, social distancing measures. And um, we can see that these rising food prices are having an impact mostly on low and middle income countries such as Mexico. 
since um, our, uh, our guest from Brazil, if I can interrupt, we had a guest from yeah. Brazil um, earlier in September, and he said the same thing. He was concerned about um, inflation and rising prices in Brazil. And yes, it's, it's, it's a problem. And um, as I was just mentioning, um, low-income people tend to spend more of their income on food um, in relation to high-income countries. So that's a concern. Mm -hmm. That makes it challenging there. And those are some bigger um, you know, issues to address about economic policy or the appropriate monetary policy response in that environment. Um, but um, we know that there's a lot of integrated elements of the economy making the food prices as such. Um, and then perhaps there might be, what role do you think the government might have in that? What role can you speak about, for example, like subsidies for food and agriculture in Mexico? We know in the U.S. historically, we've had many subsidies on agricultural development. Um, what about, how is that in Mexico? Yes, so to deal with the, with this crisis, the Mexican government, as, as you said, has developed emergency plans mm -hmm. to continue to support small and mid-sized farmers. And as you know, um, unfortunately, uh, farmers tend to be the most uh, food insecure. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's a paradox. They produce the food that we eat, but they themselves cannot feed their families. So one of the strategies the governments, and, and usually this happens around the world, is providing uh, fertilizer so they can still, uh, they can continue to produce um, uh, their, their staples and crops and also provide subsidies for corn, um, talking about Mexico, corn, rice, wheat, beans, milk, and sugarcane, and also coffee, mm -hmm. that are the main uh, crops that we grow in our country. Mm -hmm. And also what happened um, during the pandemic is that um, mostly children had, uh, low-income children had um, their source of nutrition in schools. So yeah. when, when uh, the lockdown started, they, they didn't have their main source of nutrition. So um, there was a push from the government and also the private sector and food banks to, to provide to families, especially children, to guarantee their nutrition. Um, because in, in some families, that is their only source of hot meals during, during the day. So that's, that's one of the um, mm -hmm. partnerships that the government did with the private sector to provide food for underserved populations. Right, thanks for explaining the role of the public sector there. And um, we want to keep looking um, at Mexico and lessons um, from Mexico that the emerging markets may learn because Mexico as it you know, continues to grow, continues um, to, to develop economically. Um, what is being done to address this food, water, energy nexus, for example. Water, that infrastructure has been a challenge in Mexico for you know, providing that at least to, to individuals, like for human consumption, but is it a challenge in agriculture or can you speak about that nexus there? Of course, and um, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned it because uh, talking about the food production value chain, we have been talking about the pandemic, but we haven't been talking about Mm -hmm. uh, changes in climate, mm -hmm. weather uncertainties right. uh, that come into play also with macroeconomic conditions, mm -hmm. supply disruptions. So everything right. comes into play. That's why it's so fascinating to study the, the food production value chain because it has yes. to do with many things. So mm -hmm. as, as you were talking about resource manage management is very important when talking about yield mm -hmm. and talking about producing healthy food. Uh, water is a, is a worldwide problem. There, there are many pockets of water scarcity 
in the world. And one of the solutions that we have been seeing is technifying um, the agricultural fields and training people to be more efficient with their usage of water. And that um, has a, a direct impact on also yield. So can we explain that a little bit more? How does that happen? So there are different techniques that you could use uh, in agriculture to um, be more efficient with your use of water. So there are techniques that you can use in the field, like um, drip control instead of uh, spraying water in the field. There is more control um, water um, supply. Also, you can talk about uh, using artificial intelligence to uh, coordinate, for example, the types of nutrients that you put into plants, um, how much water are you using, what times of day it's better to irrigate. So there are many techniques uh, talking about pairing agriculture and technology that could help advance um, the food production value chain, being more mindful with our resources and also increasing uh, the food, the, the nutrition value of food. Okay. Um, thank you so much for explaining some of the technologies they're learning there. We're going to just think a bit again about these insights um, and then apply them at a global level as we think about global public health, and then we'll wrap up to our conclusions. But um, as you said, the supply has been steady. There's just still some challenges on prices and um, irrigation and such, but in light of all of that, um, have there been changes in the way people in Mexico have lived and worked over the last year? And what insights can you give on this global public health and nutrition, you know, for the developing world beyond yes. Mexico? So, um, and I think this is worldwide. Unfortunately, we have seen um, that poverty level, levels are increasing especially in, in, in our country, low, um, low and middle income countries. Mm -hmm. uh, families are becoming more food insecure, which yeah. also represents a public health problem because as you know, uh, nourishment and uh, proper nutrition helps you deal with the infection better. So we have seen um, this unfortunate uh, shift in the population Mm -hmm. And uh, we have also seen that due to border restrictions and lockdowns, um, people that were seasonal workers, for example, migrating to the U.S. to help with the harvest, well, that has been also, mobility has been restricted. So we can see uh, shifts in, in migration there too. Um, however, on the other part, uh, because of, in terms talking about of, um, access to water and access to food. Some people are also migrating internally in Mexico to have uh, more access to, to these essential resources. So we have been seeing uh, a rise in mobility within the country and also within the border. Mm -hmm. um, are they moving? Like, which, where are they moving? To more urban places or where are they going? Yes, to, to, better, to try to find opportunities of also for work. Mm -hmm. And um, talking about uh, uh, cities or urban settings that don't have um, access mm -hmm. to water, they're moving, they're trying to find uh, ways to provide for their families. So there, there right. has been um, internal mobility as well as external. Is the rural um, and the infrastructure not as strong in the rural areas and they'll find more opportunity if they go closer to the cities? Well, it depends. And also there's a problem in the cities because they tend to be over 
um, populated. Exactly. Right. So it's 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 difficult to to try to to try to measure. Um, but yes, of course, uh, these these factors um, play into how people move to different parts of the of the country. Yes. Um, so we are interested in that and thinking about um, how how people are living differently now than they were before. So um, there's lots of challenges there. So what can we do, you know, looking forward? Um, how can the U.S. partner? How can North America partner? Um, you've talked about institutions working on this, the World Bank, the U.N. Food and Agricultural Organization. Um, what role can they have? You know, well, um, they're they're crucial for this. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I don't know if you remember, there were the concerns of food shortages, mm-hmm. and the FAO had a wonderful role in uh, diplomacy, talking to different countries mm-hmm. to try to maintain the borders open. Because, as you said um, at, at the beginning of our of our talk, uh, the food system is essential. We're essential workers, and we need to provide uh, for the population. So mm-hmm. these organizations are are in, in very important in providing data for key mm-hmm. stakeholders to make better decisions, to use uh, their diplomatic avenues to coordinate with different uh, countries to uh, push the agenda forward. And as you know, um, these organizations can just uh, provide suggestions, right? And nobody is enforced to follow these the suggestions or these uh, frameworks, but they provide enough evidence and uh, a, a clear pathway on where things should move. So yeah. these, these institutions are very important, but as I said in the beginning, it's also very important to take into account the private sector, the government, civil society is very important. We can also push the agenda forward and academia. Academia is so important as you in, in your university. Mm-hmm. Academia is the foundation of our society, no? So we have to be uh, very connected with all the different sectors in order to move a more responsible and sustainable agenda. So we yes. can produce food uh, with less resources, thinking about the environment and the people. Yes, thank you. I um, appreciate that insight too. And we're interested in the UN Sustainable Development Goals and number Two is zero hunger, right? After number one, zero poverty. Number three is good health and well-being, and they all are integrated. Um, Number four, quality education. So as we do some conclusions and moving forward, can you tell us about the FAO five-step action plan? Yes. So uh, just as as you said, uh, moving forward and concluding, uh, this crisis has highlighted many of the fragilities of our contemporary food system. And uh, we need to move forward. And uh, as the FAO proposes this five-step action plan to improve our food system and our health, is first of all, we have to think about innovation for increased efficiency. We were talking about that earlier, about technology, how to use artificial intelligence, how to use uh, what we have already have developed in terms of uh, increasing yield using better resources, how to harness that technology. The second one is how to ensure food safety and nutrition quality of diets. This is paramount to having better health. We have to think about how can we produce uh, healthy food and make it affordable. Also, reduce, this is the third one, reduce food loss and waste. One third of the um, 
uh, global food production of, um, of food is wasted. So one third, we uh, waste one third of the food that we produce. And when we think about it, we are also wasting the water that was uh, needed in order to produce this food and the energy. So we and have to be mindful. Global, uh, that happens? One third, yes. Mm -hmm. And in the US, I think that um, that percentage is a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. So we have to be mindful of not wasting food. Unfortunate. So innovation, number innovation. one, number two, number three, reduce food loss. And yes. two more, four and two five. Two more. Mm -hmm. Number four is sustain and strengthen agri-food enterprises. And this is talking about what we were touching on earlier, this uh, partnership with the private sector and the government. It's very important to move, um, to move these partnerships to have better uh, results in terms of agri-food production. And the final one is foster investment in the green recovery of food value chains. And what that means is how can we be more sustainable? How can we produce healthy food being also uh, responsible with the environment? Excellent. Yes. So we'll be definitely thinking about that guidance as we in each of our countries, think about kind of where we are and what our challenges are and how we can be part of the solution nationally, but also internationally. So we're going to wrap up and ask for your key reflections um, before we conclude our podcast today. Of course. Um, so first of all, we have to think about, as we have been talking, um, the global food system is complex, very complex. And in order to transform it, we have to think about being more efficient, inclusive, resilient and how to make it more sustainable. The second uh, uh, reflection is that our health and nutrition are tied to food production and the environment. This goes back to the concept from the World Bank called One Health. Right, the third people, one is, planet, animals. Exactly, people, planet and animals, One Health. The third yeah. one is uh, poverty, unfortunately, and food insecurity are on the rise. Stable foods are becoming more expensive. So we have to think about strategies on how to provide um, uh, nutrition for these underserved populations. Although this is not um, sustainable in the long run, we have to make sure they, they are getting proper nutrition. The fourth one is that global trade and cooperation are of course necessary for the economy, but we have to be responsible with our resource management. As we were talking about, we have to be responsible with our use of water how much land are we using? If we're wasting food, we have to think about resource management, input and output. And finally, uh, this intersection between government and the private sector is crucial in order to move the agenda forward and uh, also provide assistance to small farmers, people that are at risk, uh, that are uh, being compromised with their intake of food and nutrition. So. As I said, this is maybe not sustainable in the long run, but we need them to step in and help help these people uh, move forward. So these these are my basic um, reflections. Yes, gosh, you've given us so much to think about today, and thank you for explaining how everything is connected um, in this nexus of food, water, energy, this one health perspective, and um, what it means for our you know, food ecosystems, so to speak, um, locally and nationally and beyond. So we know that after listening to you and understanding this and thinking about actions we can take, whether we're in this sector or not, but what we can do um, to benefit our local and global communities, um, we'll definitely hope to support a more resilient, sustainable 
and a health-focused future. So again, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to Global Bridges, Changing Flows in People and Trade. Thank you to Lorena Macias Navarro for taking the time to talk to us about Mexico, the food system, and public health nutrition. If there are topics you would like to hear in the future, let us know. You can reach us through the contact page at globalizationandchange.com. If you found the podcast interesting, subscribe, rate, review, and share it. Global Bridges can be found on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you to the production team at the University of St. Thomas, Darnell Miller, Cindy Solis, and Jeff Olson. I'm Beverly Barrett at the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas. We thank you for listening.